The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today, we conclude the message begun yesterday from Malachi chapter 1 regarding the question, Wherein hast thou loved us? We have seen and will continue to see today that Jacob was just like Esau, an enemy of God, who had no redeemable qualities, and yet God loved him. He wasn't better than Esau. He wasn't more righteous than Esau. In fact, God found him in a waste-howling wilderness. And that's where he found you and me. If God has set his love upon us, it's not because of anything we've done, but solely and wholly due to the grace of God. That's how he loved us. We were just like Esau, and yet he loved us anyway. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Tears flood my eyes, I cry to thee, in my mind, dear, I pray. I'm lost, my enemies, cast them upon me,
And by the way, let me just say this too. We don't, we don't teach our kids to hate anybody, right? And I'm telling you, you have no right to hate anyone. Now, if you were God, and you could go around and figure out who the children of God were and who aren't, sure, you could hate them. <laughs> One day, David said, I hate them with a the perfect hatred that hate thee. One day in heaven, we will not have any problem with those that are in hell. We won't be worrying about them because we know they hate God. It won't bother us because we'll be satisfied that God's justice has been done. We'll know in a perfect way. We don't right now. It's kind of like preaching the gospel. If I knew who the elect of God were, that's all I'd preach to. C.H. Spurgeon, I think it was, said that if the elect children of God were identified by some kind of mark on their backs, he said, I'd run around pulling up their shirt tails to see if they had it, and that's the only ones I'd preach to because they're the only ones that would ever hear it. <laughs> we don't know that. So we don't have the right not to preach to anybody, and we don't have the right to hate anyone. Jesus could look at those Pharisees and say, ye are of your father the devil, because he knew. Don't let me catch you saying that <laughs> to anybody. I'll fuss at you. That's when Brother Chris will get mad. Don't be telling people that. I don't care how wicked they act. I don't care how wicked they look. Hate the sin. Hate what they're doing. But understand, that might be a child of God. I'm sure there were those that thought that the thief on the cross died and went to hell. And yet he was one of God's Precious elect children. The Lord's hatred of the wicked is righteous. And it's also perpetual or eternal. Notice down as we continue reading in Malachi. By the way, beginning there in verse 3 and ending up, well, basically verses 3 and 4. It gives us a little inside information about how God not only deals with the wicked eternally, but how he deals with them in time. He says, I hated Esau, verse 3, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Notice that. The Lord has indignation against the people of Esau forever. And that's a specific reference to Edom. Edom is the people of Esau. Edom means red, and Esau was a ruddy man. I don't know if he's red-haired or what, but he was, he was a man of the world. And uh, so, so this right here most likely is a specific reference to a historical event that is the fulfillment of Obadiah's prophecy. If you go back and look at Obadiah, you'll see Obadiah prophesied that Edom would be destroyed, and this is probably a direct reference to that. But, but notice here, he says, I laid his mountains in his heritage waste. Then when they came back and said, well, we're going to rebuild it, he said, I threw it down. Now, you may say to yourself, preacher, I, I don't see that happening every day out there in the world. I see the wicked building up and nothing throwing them down. Go back to Psalm 73 sometime and read about that. If you start looking at the wicked and what they're doing and thinking wrong about somehow that it's God that's blessing them, then you're going to get like that man over there. He said, as for me, I was almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped because I was envious at the wicked. I was envious at the foolish. I began to look around me and see, well, that man doesn't even go to church and he's got a mansion. That person lives wickedly and he's got all kinds of money and all kinds of blessings. And here I am struggling. But it's not a comparative state, you understand. It's not a 
comparison. In fact, he says those that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. See, generally, it doesn't happen every specific instance that way in this life. But understand that this is the attitude of God toward the wicked. He said, I don't care what you build, I'm going to cast it down. That may last for a lifetime, but you're going to die. <laughs> and then what's going to happen? How many, how many rich tycoons have you seen that are truly happy? I mean, many of them die with billions of dollars in a state of just squalor and, and, and depression, you see. Those things will never last. Whereas you have some poor old farmer over here that never had a dime, who's the happiest, most fulfilled, most blessed person you know. See, understand that the Lord's hatred of the wicked, this is his attitude toward the wicked, toward the Esau's of the world, and his, toward Esau and his people. Let me just say this, because this is sort of off topic, but I just can't help but throw this in here now. If you ever really want to know how bad God hates sin, all you got to do is go to the cross. I don't know about you, but if one of my children were about to be punished for a crime, and I was the one that imposed the penalty, that's the point where I'd say, wait, oh, time out. Let's just let this one slide. If one of my children are about to be nailed to a cross to experience the most, not just the death penalty, but the worst kind of death penalty, and it was me that had had the power to free them, I think I'd say, hold on, guys. Let's just, we're going to let this one go to this time. We'll come back later and reevaluate this thing. God's very own beloved, only begotten son hung on the cross, tortured, physically tortured mentally tortured emotionally and tortured spiritually in the sense that he was separated from god the break in the godhead was real i don't understand it i cannot explain it but i know this on the cross he cried out my god my god why hast thou forsaken me that's the point where i said i have it come on off of that cross here's ten thousand legions of angels you can have to go wipe out humanity God hates sin so much that sin had to be paid for. You see, you see, this thing about hating Esau, it really has to do with the holiness of God. It has to do with the righteousness of God. So, remember our question? Wherein hast thou loved us? Wherein hast thou loved us? You know what his answer was? He said, was not Esau Jacob's brother? I mean, it's as if we went to God and said, God, how, I mean, I don't understand. Can you please explain to me how, how it is that you love us? To what degree? In what way? Where can I look to see? And he says, I'm going to tell you where. Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? They were twins. They shared the same DNA. They had the same mother and father. And that little word yet is so, ought to be so precious to us. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob. 
He didn't say, yet Jacob was a better person than Esau. Yet Jacob acted and lived his life better than Esau. Yet Jacob made the right decision and Esau didn't know. He said, yet I loved Jacob. In other, here's the point. Jacob was just like Esau by nature. Jacob had no claim whatsoever on the love of God, and yet God loved him anyway. Over in Deuteronomy chapter six, I believe, 7, I believe it is, in about the 6th verse, he talks about when the Lord set his love upon the nation of Israel, he didn't do it because they were the greatest or the most numerous. They were the least. You know why he did it, though? Because the Lord loved you. Why did God put his favor upon us? Because he loved us. See, that's us. You remember what we said in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3 over there? He said, you hath the quickened who were dead. And he says, we were by nature children of wrath, even as others. I'm so glad he didn't say we were children of wrath. See, we weren't children of wrath, but by nature we were children of wrath. There was something different about us, but it wasn't because of anything within us. There was something different about us, but it wasn't because of anything within us that we were doing different. By nature, we were just like them. By nature, Esau and Jacob were brothers. But you know what? He chose us. Wherein did, he, wherein did you love us, Lord? I'll tell you how I loved you. I chose you. In Christ, before the foundation of the world, that you should be holy and without blame before me in love, having predestinated you under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. <laughs> according to the good pleasure of his will. See, that's the difference. That's how did he love us? That's why we need to understand that part about Jacob, about Esau, have I hated. We don't need to focus on, that's not, the, that's not the full message of the gospel. But it's part of that message to make us understand that we were just like Esau. We should have been left in that state if it was only up to the righteousness of God. But praise God, he's not just a holy, righteous God. He's a loving, compassionate God. See, that's what he's talking about here, and that's what he's talking about over in Romans again, back over in the ninth chapter. He said in verse 11, The children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. I've said this on one of my Sunday morning messages, but I want to say it again tonight. There are places you have to dig to figure out what God's talking about. But right here, he makes it plain. Now, don't get me wrong. God's not ever playing hide the ball. He put it in here for us to learn it. Even the book of Revelation, as, as scary and complicated as many men make that to be, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's given us that book for a reason. Brother Buddy's been preaching out of it. And he's been giving us, he gave us that book for us to understand that he's with us and that we win in the end. But here he says, he rings a bell, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> this is about election. Okay, so what's about, what is it about election? It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And then he goes right into that first objection. What should we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. You know, I, I don't want to go too far down that road because, Lord willing, I'm going to come back and preach on that probably next week. But, but understand that if you accuse God of unrighteousness, 
it's because of one of two things. Either you don't understand God and his righteousness, or you don't understand election and what it really means. Because it doesn't take away from the righteousness of God. In fact, it's a fulfillment of his righteousness. In fact, he answers his question here by saying, God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I love verse 15. Let me just stop and say that if you ever want to know what election's about, I believe verse 15 gives us the most complete summation of it. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. He chose us, you see. He chose us based on nothing other than his own compassion and mercy. He didn't choose us based on how good we were. That false explanation of election that God looked down through time and saw whether we would choose him or not, and if we choose him, he would choose us. That's, that's the wrong explanation. Psalm 14 tells us he looked down through time. <laughs> he looked down upon the children of men to see if there were any that did good. He said, they're all going to side. There's none good, no, not one. I'm glad he didn't do that because there'd be nobody chosen because nobody would have chose him. But you see, we're asking, we're asking the question tonight, wherein hast thou loved us? Here's how he loved us. First of all, he chose us. We were just like Esau, but he chose us. Jacob was just like Esau. He was a twin brother, but he chose him. He chose us. But not only that, he finds us. If you turn sometime, you don't have to turn tonight, but if you look back over, we are going to turn there. Turn back with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 32. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, this is probably the sweetest statement to me of the Lord's relationship in time beginning, of his relationship with Jacob beginning in time. Now I realize before the foundation of the world, God already had a relationship with us. But we didn't have a relationship with him until the point where we have been born again. But notice in chapter 32 and verse uh, 10. Well, let's back up to verse 8 just to get the context. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Now, notice what he's saying here, that all of history revolves around God's people. The Old Testament history primarily revolves around the Israelites, but listen, it revolves around all of God's people. When you find, don't, don't ever get too tied up and worked up about the things of this world, the, the history that is in the making in the world today. God is protecting his people. He may not save them all alive physically, but I'll tell you, beloved, he is concerned with every little one of his children over in the Ukraine that is being put upon, that is being beaten down, that is being uh, oppressed. He's concerned with that. And in fact, all of history revolves around the people of God. Why do you think this nation is so great? It's not because we're just smarter than everybody else. It's because we've been a haven for the church of God. A haven for the free practice of religion here in this world. And I see it, I see it maybe coming to an end. I don't know. I hope not. But I'll tell you this. Even if the nation, the United States falls, God will protect his kingdom. God, he protected it in a worse, much worse place called Egypt where they were at the mercy of a tyrant who was murdering children. 
without any recourse to any appeal. And God protected them and let them out. But notice here what he says. Verse 9, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. Here's another place where Jacob is not just talking about Jacob himself, but he's representing the children of God. In this case, the children of Israel primarily. But notice what he said, the Lord's portion is his people. Now, we often think about God being our portion, heaven being our inheritance, the Lord Jesus Christ being our elder brother. But I want you to understand that Jacob is the lot, it's the inheritance, the Lord's portion is his people. And this means something to us, or it ought to. That means that, as our song says, that he'll not live in glory and leave me behind. He's not satisfied yet. You know, there's a sense in which the Lord Jesus Christ is not yet satisfied. You say, well, I thought he satisfied the wrath of God, the payment for sin on the cross. He did that. But we're not there yet. We've been adopted, but we haven't been taken home. Adoption's not complete until that child has been taken home. One day we will be. But notice how Jacob's relationship on earth began with God. Now, now, as I said, God knew him before the foundation of the world. He knew him before Jacob knew God. But notice what it is. God finds us. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. That word desert land means a sterile, sandy country. That word waste means emptiness, formlessness, a place of chaos, a worthless, a worthless thing. The word howling there is the Hebrew word yelel. <laughs> yelel. The Hebrew had a lot of words that made the sound that it was trying to promote. And that means a yelling or a howling of wild beasts. It doesn't sound like it gets much worse than a waste howling wilderness, does it? Yet God found Jacob there. I believe he's specifically talking about the day that Jacob laid his head down on a rock for a pillow. And he had that dream that night. I believe, I believe that's when Jacob was born again. I do. Up to that point, he woke up the next morning and said, God was surely in this place and I knew it not. Have you had that experience? I'm telling you, beloved. I believe he found Jacob there. He finds us. He sends... You know, I use, I use this, this recently. Sometimes we get this idea that, and it's promoted in the world, that these doctrines of grace are somehow just deep doctrines that we need to avoid and that they're the meat of the word, brother buddy. They're not really the milk, you know. They're, they're not what a, you know, they're, they're good things for preachers to talk about, but we shouldn't share them with the congregation. I want to tell you about a story, and I know I've told you this before. But y'all remember when Brother Glendon's older brother was dying of cancer. And Brother Oliver, his father, couldn't go. He couldn't be up there with him. Brother Glendon called me, I believe it was him, called me and he said, Clarman's died. And I need you to go tell Daddy. You know, you always wonder, what, what will you say? What will you, what will you tell him? What will comfort someone in that situation? And I went to see dear old Brother Oliver. And I told him that it happened. <laughs> And Brother Oliver shed some tears. And you know what he did? Then he looked up and he said, My Bible says all that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. And him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. You know where Oliver Junkin went for comfort? He went to the doctrines of grace. He went to the doctrines of grace and the death of his own son. He went to the doctrines of grace at a time of the most mourning that you could possibly do. 
When my father was laying there dying, when, when daddy was on his deathbed, you know what we were singing to him? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. You know why? Because we need that. You need that, child of God. We don't need to avoid these doctrines. They're the milk of the word. Because you see, it wouldn't have done Brother Oliver any good. And I've heard people do this. Say, well, I just, I hope he held out to the end. <laughs> I hope he didn't get to thinking wrong and lose his salvation. I, I, hope he, I hope he did everything and I hope he did it right. You know what Brother Oliver knew? <laughs> he knew the Lord had done everything and he had done it right. See, these are the doctrines we need to know. See, that's wherein hast thou loved us. He said, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. That's why this is so important, child of God. Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob and hated Esau. I righteously hate the wicked. I righteously hate sin. I righteously uh, am offended by the sin curse on this world. Oh, but I love you anyway, child of God. I love you anyway. Even though you're just like everyone else. That's how I love you. Wherein hast thou loved us? Lord, you've loved us even when we were unlovable. You loved us when we were enemies. You sent your son to die for us and to reconcile us when we were enemies. That's how you loved us. And that's why it's so important. We don't spend a lot of time on Esau have I hated because that's not the whole point. That's not the real point of that passage. The point of that passage is that Jacob have I loved. Jacob is the lot of my inheritance. Child of God, if you have a sense that you're a sinner, you have a, a grasp to whatever extent you have it that, that you need. Like old Job, he says, I don't know much else, but the words I'm about to say, I want them to be graven in the rock forever. I know that my Redeemer liveth. I'm suffering more than anybody's ever suffered. I've lost my family. I've lost my health. I've lost all of my stuff. Even my wife has turned against me. But I know my Redeemer liveth. And that he'll stand in the last days upon the earth. And yea, though the skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh will I see God. Wherein hast thou loved us? You've loved us, Lord, in that you have chosen us before the foundation of the world. You sent your Son to die for us. In time you have quickened us, and one day you're coming back to get us. One day I will see the Lord in my body. If I die in the meantime, my spirit will go home to be, be with him. But one day he's coming back to reunite the spirit with this body. And I'll be with him forever. That's how he's loved us. That's where we can look to know that the Lord has loved us when we didn't deserve it. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. 
If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.